Good morning. Good morning. Nice. Right off the bat. I like it. We're going we're gonna to jump right in this morning. Um, Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be. While you're turning there, you might remember that there are some disclaimers in this series. Um, right now, we're talking about the lifestyle of the kingdom. In this series, we are getting down into the nitty-gritty of what it means to live the expectations that are on those who follow Jesus, that there are actually expectations for a life lived in the reality of the kingdom. But when we approach a topic like this, especially for some of us who grew up in church, it's easy for us to respond with guilt, shame, legalism, to walk away from sermons like this saying, oh, I'm not doing enough, I'm failing, I need to earn something from the Lord, something like that. So we need this disclaimer. We say it like this for, we've said it like this for a while at the fold. I think this fits. It's that Jesus is always raising the bar and lowering the pressure. Jesus is continually saying, there's more, there's better, there's more beautiful, there's more right, there's more forgiveness, there's more healing, there's a better way to live. But then he's also saying, I paid for your sins, I took away your guilt and shame, you're forgiven, it's okay. So when we fall short, we don't say, oh no, I failed. We say, there's more, I'm forgiven. Jesus is raising the bar and he's lowering the pressure. Amen? So we've got to keep that in mind during this series. Here's the second disclaimer, and this is just for this sermon. Um, I have preached this exact sermon before at the fold. And that's not because I was just like, I don't want to write a sermon this week. Um, It's because I believe this is probably my favorite story in the Bible. And if you were to go back to when the fold was completely online at the beginning of the pandemic, you could watch on our YouTube channel basically this sermon from when we were completely online. And I'm going to say this, if God gives us another two years, you're probably going to hear this sermon again. Because I believe in what God has to say through this story. And honestly, like I think if I had, if if I could get every Christian in the world into a room and you were just like, CJ, you can say one thing to them. You can preach one sermon. I think this is the story that I would preach. So I'm going to preach this story a bunch of times, all right? So you might have heard the illustrations before. You're just going to have to deal with it. I've got the microphone. So Luke chapter 5. You could leave, I guess, but that would be rude. I mean, um, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, And tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking. And asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? What's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Let's pray. Jesus, we approach your word again as we do it this time every week. We ask you to speak. 
We ask your word to ring true, your spirit to guide us. And we say anything that's not from you, let us forget it. Let the only name that matters this morning be the name of Jesus. The only name we walk away remembering be the name of Jesus. We love you. Amen. When I was in college, I had a problem, a fairly common problem. I was late to class all the time. Like, I was, I was always late to class. And like, I wasn't like 15 minutes late. I was like three minutes late. Like, I would roll into class right about the time that the professor would say, all right, open up your books too. Like, that was the time. I would always miss the attendance sheet and get counted absent even though I was there. And it was a serious problem. But that wasn't the only problem I had. I also wasn't good at making decisions or managing money. So rather than like getting up earlier or something like that, I decided, you know what? If I could get to class three minutes faster then I would be to class on time. It would solve my problem. So rather than changing my alarm, I spent $200 on a longboard. Started riding that to class. If you don't know what a longboard is, it's a skateboard, but longer. Some of you get that. Um, So I started riding it to class, and it fixed my problem. I started getting to class right on time, unless it was raining. I couldn't ride my longboard. Then I was three minutes late again. But every time the weather was nice, I got to class on time. The problem was I'm not very good at leaving well enough alone, so I didn't ride the longboard to class. I rode it all around campus, and I thought chicks would dig a guy on a longboard, so I would just cruise around campus all the time. And I thought I was really good at this thing, right? Like I could carve, I could hang tin on the nose, I could like slide and stuff. I thought I was awesome. Problem was, Longboards are designed for going down hills at high speeds, right? They've got bigger wheels, bigger trucks, they're longer, they're not for jumping down stairs and stuff, they're for going really fast down hills. And I went to college in Indiana. There's not a hill in Indiana, not even one. The whole place is just flat. So I thought I was really good at longboarding. So at the end of the semester, one year, me and some of my friends, we decide to go on a trip to Missouri, to Table Rock Lake, Missouri, outside of Branson, the Gatlinburg of the Midwest, if you've never been there. If you've been to Gatlinburg and Branson, you will get that joke. If not, it might go over your head. It's fine. We went to the lake, and I brought my longboard along because I'm a longboarder now. This is who I am. It's now part of my identity. So I took my longboard along. We get to the lake. We go out on the boat. You know, we're dressed for swimming, right? Swim trunks, T-shirt, flip-flops. I didn't even own a helmet, for the record. Didn't own one. Um, So we're out on the boat. We hang out, have a great time. We come back. We get off the boat. And for some reason, we can't get into the condo that we're staying in. So we call the manager, and we're waiting for him to come unlock the door. And I think, oh, this is a great time to longboard. I pop the trunk on the car, kick off my flip-flops, and start rolling around the parking lot barefoot. Now, that's not a, real, that's not a big deal in a parking lot. The problem was, I looked up to my left, and I saw a hill. And I thought, that doesn't look that steep. I mean, I've never done a hill before, but how hard can it be? So I picked up my longboard, and I ran up to the top of the hill. And I distinctly remember getting to the top of the hill and looking down and thinking, it's a lot steeper than I thought it was. Listen, I don't know how, like, girls make decisions, but pretty much every guy that I know has made a decision like this before where we think, eh, what's the worst that could happen? And that's not a horrible way to make decisions if you actually take the time to consider all of the possible negative outcomes, but I don't know any dude that does that. We give it 10 seconds, and if we don't think of death or paralysis, then we do it anyway. That's what I did. I thought, eh. I've got to get down somehow. Longboard's the fastest way. So I hopped on and started riding down this hill. 
And listen, I don't know how fast I was going. I felt like I was going 100 miles an hour. I might have been going 20 or 25. But halfway down this hill, I started to get something called speed wobble. Anybody heard of speed wobble before? All right, yeah, it's what happens when you're going. I don't know the science of it. But basically, you're going so fast you can't balance anymore. So you start to wobble back and forth. And on a skateboard, the way you lean is the way you go. So when you start wobbling, you start serpentine riding down the hill. So I get halfway down this hill and I'm wobbling. I have no idea what to do. This has never happened to me before. So I just start praying and like gripping the board with my bare feet, just like trying to hold on. And I don't know how I did it. I don't know what happened, but the speed wobble went away. I was like, it's a miracle. I'm going to be fine. Went another 10 or 20 yards and the wobble came back. And it came back even worse. I'm like, I'm going to die. This is the end. So I just, I flexed every muscle in my body, tried to like push down on the board somehow. And the wobble went away again. And I thought, I'm a natural. I'm so good at this, right? I get to the bottom of the hill, now going max speed. And I'm approaching the place where you have to turn with the road to avoid hitting the giant concrete building. And I get speed wobble again. And this time, I'm not wobbling, I'm slaloming down the mountain. I'm like going back and forth like this. And I thought, okay, I've got to jump off. Because if I wait to fall, I'll hit my head. And if I jump, then I can try to run. Or at least I can like tuck and roll and not hit my head. So I jump off this board. And my friend said that I looked hilarious, like a cartoon character. Because my upper body was so far in front of my feet that I was running like at a 45 degree angle. And you remember the old Wile E. Coyote cartoons where he would fall off a mountain and hold up a sign that said, yikes? I had a moment like that where everything slowed down, and I smiled to myself, and I thought, whatever's about to happen, I deserve it. So later on at the ER, uh, when the doctor found out why I had road rash on my arms and hands and back and lower back and legs and the tops of my feet, he wasn't nearly as kind to me because he also thought I deserved it. Here's why I tell you that story. When we read the Bible, we tend to assume that these are like holy saints making well-executed plans, doing things without emotion. We look at these stories and we think these are exceptional people. These are special people. Look, these, these guys made a, they planned it out. They brought their friend to Jesus. This is not... This is not something I could do. But here's what I think. I think this story is a what's the worst that can happen story. Okay, here's what I mean. Imagine being the guy on the mat. All right, you're paralyzed. You can't walk. First off, do you have any four male friends that if they came and picked you up and started taking you somewhere, you wouldn't be at least a little nervous? Because I don't. Right? If, if my friends came and started picking me up and taking me somewhere, I'd be horrified. Like, put me down. He can't do anything about it. You have to believe that this is how it happened. Like, they hear Jesus is in town, and they have a friend who's paralyzed. So they're like, we've got to get him to Jesus. We've got to get him. So they run up to him, and they're like, let's go. We're taking, where are you taking me? Put me down. We're going to Jesus. Who's Jesus? He heals people. Please stop. Right? You don't want this to happen. They're dragging you across town. Finally, you get to a house, and the house is packed with people, and you can't get inside. So they put you down and you're probably thinking, finally, can we go home? I do not want a strange person to try to heal me in front of a crowd. Can we just go home? And, and we all have that friend that like hasn't had a good idea since middle school, but we still trust them, right? You know, it was that guy that was like the roof. 
the roof. And everyone's like, the roof, you're right. So they pick you up and they take you up to the roof of a stranger's home. Right now at that time, roofs were like patios. You could walk upstairs. They take you up there and you're like, what are we going to do now? And your friends start pulling apart a stranger's home. This is a breaking and entering. Like this is a, this is vandalism. This is not a good idea. You don't take apart strangers' homes to get your friend help. This is ridiculous. This is four guys saying, oh, what's the worst that could happen? And then they lo- like they attached him to ropes, I assume, and lowered him through a hole in a ceiling in front of a teacher in front of a crowd, like interrupted the sermon to lower him through a hole they just made in a stranger's house. This is crazy. It's ridiculous. But in verse 20, it says that Jesus saw their faith and said, friend, your sins are forgiven. He saw their faith. He didn't respond to the faith of the paralyzed man. He responded to the faith of the ones who just vandalized someone's home. He responded to a ridiculous, reckless outrageous, potentially irresponsible faith and said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And then later on said, pick up your mat and walk. Did you know that your faith can lead to someone else's healing? Did you know that your faith can change someone else's life? It just leaves us with a question because this is the reality. A kingdom lifestyle is a lifestyle lived with faith that affects the people around us. A kingdom lifestyle is a lifestyle of faith that is leading to transformation in the people around us. Where the kingdom of God goes, it spreads. This is why the Bible is full of analogies like seeds and planting things like that, because where it's planted, it multiplies. A kingdom lifestyle is a life where our faith is affecting the lives of other people. So the question it forces us to ask is, are you willing to take the risk? Are you willing to take the risk so that someone else would encounter Jesus? I think this is, for many of us, this is kind of the next step in following Jesus. Oftentimes we encounter the Holy Spirit. We, we encounter transformation for ourselves. We experience the goodness of God in worship. We begin growing in faith. And we, we understand the idea of taking the risk of, of going out on a limb to encounter Jesus for ourselves, right? We understand that, that growing in faith means changing our decisions. It means walking in discipleship. We take a risk to experience Jesus for ourselves. But the next question is, are you willing to take the risk so that your faith would affect someone else? Now, there are some reasons why I don't think. Now, there are tons of reasons that keep us from doing this, but there are just a couple that I want to address this morning. One of them is that I, I think that we exceptionalize our faith. Here's what I mean by that. In our culture everywhere, we've got exceptional people in exceptional places doing exceptional things. Like, I like to watch 
people who are good at basketball play basketball because I can't do that. I can barely jump like three inches. I can hardly touch the net, let alone dunk. It is exceptional to me that somebody could tomahawk dunk, right? It's crazy. We watch, except we do this in every category. We watch sports. We watch musicians. We go buy the book from the latest CEO that started from nothing and got to a Fortune 500 company. We have a culture, and this is part of human culture. It's not just modern culture, but we look at exceptional people in exceptional places. And we recognize the exceptional things that we do. It's really natural that this would seep its way into our perception of Jesus. So we think that there are exceptional people And there are exceptional places who do exceptional things for the kingdom of God. We think of people like Billy Graham or people like Rich Villotas or people like Judah Smith or people like Jen Hatmaker. We think of people that write books and that fill stadiums and people come to listen to them preach and listen to them them sing. And we think, oh, well, if Hillsong comes to town, then we can go worship. If, If we go to church on Sunday morning, the presence of God is going to be there powerfully. If I can just get my friend to read this book, then they, they might encounter Jesus. We think that our faith is exceptionalized as if there are some people who have like a direct line to Jesus and the rest of us have to go through the secretary, right? Like there are some people who have an exceptional faith and they have an exceptional relationship with God. They've got talent, they've got gifting, they've got something like that that gives them specific access. So if we want the world to change, we need to get people to that person. We need to get people into that place. But the gospel is unique from everything else in the world because it is mundane, not exceptional. Now listen, the love of Jesus is exceptional. The work of Jesus is exceptional. There is nothing like it. But the gospel moves forward in ordinary life through ordinary people. Do you know why the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God is counter to the world around it? Well, one of the reasons is that it does not require exceptional people. It doesn't expect exceptional people. It often doesn't even choose exceptional people. The friends in this story are not even named. There is nothing exceptional about them. They are just normal people who have a friend that has a fairly normal need for their day, and they realize that there was a savior who might bring healing. So they did the ordinary thing that you would do. If your friend had a flat tire, you'd go pick them up and help them get it changed. If your friends needed a ride, you'd give them a ride. If your friends needed some money and you had some extra, you'd probably give them a loan. It's ordinary things. When we're aware of the need around us, we do the ordinary things to help the people that we love. This is how the gospel moves forward. It moves forward in the mundane, ordinary, everyday life of ordinary believers. Your faith can change someone else's life. There is no junior Holy Spirit. There is no secondary level of following Jesus. There are just those who follow Jesus, indwelled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to further the kingdom around them. Some of them are good at talking in front of a lot of people. Some of them are good at making coffee. Some of them are good at a whole variety of things. And we take whatever it is that we're good at, and we do that, and God multiplies the kingdom through it. This is how the kingdom moves forward. It moves forward in the mundane, in the everyday. Let me make this as explicit as I can. Your neighbors don't need me to preach to them. They need you to invite them over to dinner or to befriend them. 
to be aware that the Holy Spirit is actually in you actively working for the reconciliation and redemption of the people around you. The gospel moves forward in ordinary things. You don't need Jack and Caroline to lead a worship night in your office for people to encounter the Holy Spirit. Would that be really cool? Yeah. Would we try to get that to happen? Absolutely. Do you need that to see revival come in your place of business? Absolutely not. We need people empowered with the Holy Spirit who realize that the gospel moves forward at your cubicle at work just as much as it does in a church service on Sunday mornings. The second thing that I think that keeps us from from living out that kind of faith is that honestly, some of us, we are just not willing to take the risk. We're just not really willing to take the risk. It it seems very risky to share Jesus, to open up our lives, to be vulnerable about our struggles, to do the things that, that help us encounter other people. We're not really willing to take the risk. We as a culture, or at least I, care a lot what other people think about me. Like we as a culture, maybe some of us don't, but the majority of us as a culture are very, very appearance-oriented, which means we continually play through what other people are going to think and what they're going to feel in relation to our faith and our actions. I remember a couple years ago, I was walking out of a McDonald's, and there was a, a girl like on the floor weeping, clearly upset by the door of this McDonald's. Like everything about her was screaming, somebody help right? Like this, obviously the right thing to do was to walk up and say, hey, is everything okay? Can I pray for you? Because she was clearly visibly upset. So as I'm leaving McDonald's, I'm walking up to say, hey, can I, is there anything I can do? Are you all right? Can I pray for you? And in my mind, I'm thinking like, what if she thinks I'm creepy? And what if the peop- what if she starts crying harder and the people at McDonald's think it's my fault? Like what if, what if I get in trouble for trying to help her and everybody misreads this situation, right? Ridiculous things start going through my mind of all of the worst case scenarios that could happen. But the, the ridiculous thing about it was that if she thinks I'm creepy, that bears no effect on the rest of my life at all, right? right? Like a, a, a stranger in a McDonald's can think that I'm creepy and that's not going to change the rest of my life. But in that moment, like it was the most important thing in the world to me, what this person thought, Sometimes we're just not really willing to take the risk. What, what if that person thinks that I'm being pushy? What if that person thinks I'm being obnoxious? What if that person, here's the thing, if Jesus is good and if his ways are better and if his kingdom is beautiful, then it is not pushy or obnoxious or creepy or invasive to offer that goodness to someone else. That doesn't mean that we be pushy or confrontational or start arguments. People started arguments with Jesus. He didn't often start arguments with them. And it was almost exclusively religious people who argued with Jesus. He just had dinner with lost people. You remember he was known as a friend of sinners. He had a reputation for hanging out with thieves and prostitutes. And it wasn't a compliment. He was willing to take the risk. He was willing to set aside his reputation. I think sometimes, have you ever, have you ever watched a uh, little kid learn to catch a fly, a fly ball in baseball, right? Like you throw it up to them and they stand there with their glove up like this, right? And then sometimes at the last second, the ball's coming down, it's going right for their glove, but they get scared, so they go, and they get hit in the head with the ball. Have you ever seen that happen? That happened to me when I was a kid. I've got a very distinct memory of a softball hitting me right here. Um, I think we do that often in the kingdom of God, right? The Holy Spirit is in us, actively 
working to bring about the transformation of the world around us. What that means is the Holy Spirit is already working to invite your co-workers into a relationship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit is already working on the heart of your barista. The Holy Spirit is already present in your favorite restaurant. The Holy Spirit is already convicting your boss that you can't stand. Right? The Holy Spirit is present and active in the world, drawing people to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit is in you, creating opportunities. But sometimes we're just not really willing to take the risk. So the Holy Spirit softballs, throws us a softball, and rather than standing there with our glove up, we get hit with the ball. We miss the opportunity. Now, once again, I don't say this to create any sort of guilt or shame or anything like that for anyone. I say this to say this, that the Holy Spirit is creating opportunities for life change in your life consistently and continually. The the world around you is electric with the move of the Holy Spirit. And in your mundane, ordinary, everyday life, there are opportunities for the Holy Spirit to move someone's heart closer to Jesus. And it doesn't have to be a moment where you had chills and your friends started crying and like the, the Holy Spirit falls from heaven. It can just be, hey, I heard you had a hard week. How are you doing? It can just be when a coworker says, you know what, man, I'm so tired of this job. It just feels like life isn't going anywhere. And the Holy Spirit opens that door for a conversation. You see that? Are we willing to take the risk? The last reason is that I think for some of us, at least for myself, we don't really notice the need around us. It's kind of like, have you ever had someone come over to your house and when they get there you realize your house is a wreck? Yeah, right? Because you don't notice the pile of dishes because you just live there right? Like, it's around all the time. You don't notice the socks on the floor. You don't notice the, like, dishes from yesterday. They're just out and around. This is your house. And then someone else comes over, and you're like, oh my gosh, this place is horrible. Let me clean it up. You know what I mean? Like, stay in your car for a little bit. Don't come in. Like, we, we don't notice it. We become accustomed to it. And I think this happens as Christians to us often, is that we just kind of become accustomed to people living under hopelessness and loneliness and depression and anxiety and fear And we hear about it all the time. I mean, mean, we do. It's common in our world to acknowledge that there's pain and there's injustice and there's brokenness and there's fear. And we hear about it so much that it it doesn't trigger our gospel reaction anymore. You know, it, it doesn't strike us as something's out of place that the Holy Spirit could fix. It doesn't strike us as healing is possible if this person's willing to take the step, if they see the goodness of Jesus. You know, a a great example of this is the war in Ukraine. People have talked about the fatigue of bad news. And we've been hearing about this for so often. When Russia invaded Ukraine, we heard about it all the time, and it always grabbed our attention. But now we've seen so many blue and yellow flags that you don't really notice them anymore. Because we we grow accustomed to bad news. We grow accustomed to the injustice of the world. We grow accustomed when we begin to say, well, this is just how the world is. I hope Jesus comes back soon. We don't notice the need. And when we don't notice the need, we don't pray as if the gospel might encounter the need. 
So we no longer pray, Holy Spirit, create an opportunity for me to share your love. Holy Spirit, open up my home for people who are lonely. Holy Spirit, bring justice. We, we no longer respond with the goodness of God and the justice of the kingdom to the injustice of the world. And where our prayers are, there our actions follow. Because our prayers really tell us where our faith is, so we don't really pray for these things. We don't pray for God to bring justice and transformation and hope and healing to the world, so we very rarely behave as if God will actually bring transformation, justice, hope, and healing to the world. So the question is, are you willing to take the risk? Are you willing to embrace the fact that the Holy Spirit moves through you? You don't have to be exceptional. Friends, however much faith you have right now is enough faith to change someone else's life. However much faith, are you doubting whether it's real? Do you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? Do you feel like nothing's really changing in your life? If you just believe in Jesus, that's enough faith to change someone else's life. Is your faith barely hanging on? That's enough faith to change someone else's life. There's no exceptionality in the kingdom of God. The only exceptional one is Jesus, and he indwells us all through the Holy Spirit, creating opportunities. And the risk is on the weight of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes the risk because the Holy Spirit creates opportunities, and the Holy Spirit gives us a community so that even if a stranger at McDonald's hates us, we've got people here that like us, and it'll be okay, right? And the Holy Spirit makes us aware of risk. Your faith can change someone else's life if you're willing to take the risk. A kingdom lifestyle is a lifestyle in which our faith is affecting other people. It is. But I wasn't planning on on doing this. This isn't part of the original sermon that I wrote a long time ago and have preached four or five times over the years. But as I was in fold group and as I was praying and contemplating this morning, it kind of hit me that I think some of us, the, the problem isn't that we're not willing to take the risk as much as the problem is that we just have a really hard time believing that Jesus is good. We're not the friends in the story. We're the person on the paralyzed, we're the person on the mat that needs to be brought to Jesus. And that where we're at this morning is that we've got a situation in our lives that we really, really want to believe for somebody else. We really want to have faith that could change someone else. But we're having a hard enough time bringing our own thing to the Lord right now. And, and, we're, and you're hearing this and you're saying, CJ, I want my faith to change somebody else. But I've got this thing weighing on my shoulders. I'm on the mat right now. I need someone to bring me to Jesus. I need someone to bring me to the Holy Spirit. I need to encounter the goodness of Jesus because I really want to believe that it's true. I really want to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, but I'm just having a really, really hard time right now, and I'm the one who actually needs a friend to bring me to Jesus, to stand in the gap for me, to fight on my behalf, to encounter the Holy Spirit. I need someone to pray for me or to serve me. And it's perfectly okay to be the person on the mat. And it's perfectly okay to be the friend bringing your friend to Jesus. And it's perfectly okay to kind of be both. So I want to create space this morning as we close. For you, for me, if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I've got something in my life that I need to trust the Lord with. And I'm having a really hard time believing that anything's going to change. I'm having a really hard time believing that Jesus is actually good in this area. If that's you, I want to create space for your friends and for your family to come around and have faith on your behalf. 
Because this is what we get to do as a community. We get to be the friends who stand in the gap for the people around us. And we get to do that by prayer, and we get to do that by service, and we get to do that by love. So I just want to create some space as we close in worship for someone who needs prayer to acknowledge that and to receive the faith of your friends praying on your behalf. So Jack's going to come, and he's going to lead us in worship. And this is what I'm going to ask, is that if you're here, and you're just saying, hey, I've got something that I could use some faith for. I've got something that I could use someone else's faith to pray for me over. Then I just want you to come forward. We're going to do this old school, like a real Baptist church, as if we've got an altar and stuff. Like, I'm going to ask you to come forward, to come to the front. And if you come to the front, then what that's going to mean is that you would just like some friends to pray for you, whatever it is. You don't have to share what that thing is. You just want some people to come lay hands on you. And then we, as your friends, are going to come. We're not going to ask intrusive questions or get up all in your space. We're just going to come lay a hand on your shoulder and join you and share our faith that the Lord actually can bring transformation in that area of your life. So as we begin this song and as we start in worship after I pray, this space in the front is open for you to just acknowledge, I'm the guy on the mat. I need the faith of my friends this morning. All right? Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you in so many different places and so many different experiences. We come to you having had great weeks or hard weeks. We come to you needing a miracle or receiving a miracle. God, we come to you with a variety of stories, but we come to you in faith today, trusting and reminding ourselves and reminding one another that you are the healer. And Jesus, I'm going to ask you this morning to do what you did for the paralyzed man. You said in this story, so that you would know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, get up and walk. And there are those of us in this room who are struggling with faith. We're struggling to trust you with really difficult things, Lord. And we're asking that you would, so that we know your authority and so that we know your power and so that we know your love, that you would move on our behalf, that you would be a miracle worker, that you would be a provider, that you would be a healer, whatever the need is, God, we're asking, so that we know your authority, that you would respond in healing as we step out in faith. We love you, Jesus. We ask that you would move in our hearts. 